Well, good morning. It's good to be able to worship together uh, this morning for you online. Thanks for choosing to be here. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6 as we wrap up this study that we've been uh, walking through over the course of these summer months. Uh, I want to try to put a bow on all of this and bring it together and, and challenge us a little bit to stand as we come to what we know in Christian circles as the armor of God passage. You remember as children putting on the armor. Just by a show of hands, how many of you remember what one of the pieces of armor is? Okay, how many are lying? That's just, honestly, it's good. We had a little drill in, in our car this week to see who could remember. There was a little bit of a mix and matching going on, but somewhat we know what the armor of God is. So we're going to look at that this morning as we look at standing, but I want to kind of jump back a little bit towards the beginning of the letter where Paul is outlining some of his thoughts, and as he does in a lot of his letters, he records a prayer for the people. And the prayer at the beginning becomes the theme of this entire uh, study, which was known, right? Chapter 1, Paul says, because this reason I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, your love for the saints, I do not cease to give thanks to you, remember you in, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having your eyes, the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his, of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. Love those three things. But as I oftentimes read Paul's prayers, I'm reminded that he prays in a totally different way than I do, totally different way than you and I do, totally different way than we do collectively when we pray. Oftentimes we're praying about physical things or we're talking about healing or uh, deliverance through sickness or uh, provision in some way, shape, or form. But when Paul prays, he prays about the deep matters of our hearts. And in this situation, that we would know what is true for us in Christ Jesus. So this theme of known should kind of stick in our brains as we're wrapping up uh, our study in, uh, in the book of Ephesians. But you've noticed, too, as we've gone through this study, that we've seen a couple different frameworks that we're kind of plopping on top of this letter. Because I know when I finish studying a letter, I want to remember something about it. I don't want to just uh, go on having studied. I want to go on having remembered something that I had studied. So we've put some frameworks on top of this. We said at the beginning of the letter, he's talking about more doctrinal truth. At the end of the letter, he's talking about more practical living issues. Last week, I said the first half is about how Christ has made us worthy through the work that he has done and the work that he continues to do. And we talked about walking worthy. Because of the fact that we are made worthy, we ought to walk worthy. This morning, I want to leave you with one other piece of framework that's going to hook into where we are in chapter 6. And it's from a, a Chinese pastor of the 20th century named Watchman Nee. And when he wrote a book on the Ephesians, he described it and summarized it in three words, three verbs, sit, walk, and stand. Talking about the three positions that we have in our relationship with Jesus Christ. In the opening chapters, Apostle Paul says that we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. And somehow in Paul's mind, and this is one of those mysteries that we kind of grapple with even our own understanding, somehow in Paul's mind, we are here, but we are there in Christ. So that where, it, where Christ is, we are. So therefore, when Christ is blessed from the Father, we are blessed with him. The gifts that he receives, we receive with him because we are in him. 
So the first part of the letter is about sitting because we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. We've talked over the last several weeks over this middle section called walking, where it says, therefore, walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. And so our life, even though we are seated with Christ currently, we are to be walking out our faith regularly on a daily basis, allowing God to portray his character through us as we walk through the daily wrestling matches of life. And the last verb that Watchman Nee draws to our attention, which is where we're going to settle down this morning, is the verb stand. And in this battle he describes, this spiritual tension, this wrestling match, the clear command comes out that our, our Christian uh, conviction, our Christian purpose ought to be to stand and to withstand any attack or any onslaught that might be coming towards us. And that's where we're going to settle in our brains and our minds this morning. So open with me in in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 10 together. Did anybody read the entire letter of Ephesians this week? A couple of you? I know I said early in the sermon last week that I was going to give you homework, and then I totally forgot about it. I got so excited about submission, totally forgot about the homework. You were supposed to read Ephesians and Colossians this week. So I'm going to give you homework this week. I know you're probably saying, well, we just finished studying. We need to go on to bigger and better things. No, read Ephesians and read Colossians. If you can't read that long, listen to Ephesians and listen to Colossians. They're parallel sister letters. They overlap and theme a lot. But hopefully it will bring all of these things back into your mind and uh, leave you with some challenge. But we're going to start in verse 10 this morning. Finally... Now, when I, when I see the word, I think, is he saying finally, like, finally we're done with this letter? Or is he saying finally this is the last most important point? Or finally these are the, this is the last thing I'm going to mention to you before closing the letter? We don't know, but it's a word that should jump off the page at us. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To this end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And thus he wraps up his letter with some final greetings. Let's pray together, and then we'll dig into what the Lord has for us today. Father, we're thankful for the Apostle Paul, for his life, for his ministry. I thank you for the fact that he responded to that amazing call to salvation. Even though his conversion was more dramatic than most of ours, God, he submitted to you and he followed. 
Thank you, Lord, that he was obedient uh, to the point of death, that he suffered, that he went through trial, that he was imprisoned, that he experienced more brutality than any of us have experienced for the most part. I thank you, God, that he was faithful, that you chose to use him to write these letters to these churches, and we have the benefit of being able to read them and study them and learn from them. I thank you that your word is living and it's active. I thank you that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. I thank you that uh, the prophet reminds us that it's like a hammer that smashes the hardened rocks of our hearts and that it's like a fire that purifies us. I pray, God, that you would allow us to see not just the exhortation to stand, but Help us to see the entire exhortation of the, of the letter to the church at Ephesus. I pray that we would leave having finished this study with something more to live for and something to live by. I pray that you would lock those things in our minds and our hearts, and I pray that it would be a glorious time of study this morning. Help us to see what you want us to see. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The word study is an interesting word because when we think of study, we think of school, and when we think of school, we think of homework, and then you get a little bit bitter because I give you homework, and then you flashbacks to elementary school, and you're mad about having to do all the homework when you should be out playing in the street. <sighs> Sorry about that. Study. We are studying the Word of God, right? Our job is to study the Word of God. We read it. We don't just read it because it's something to read. We read because we want to learn what's in it. We want to know what the author is thinking. We want to think his thoughts. We want to be challenged by his thoughts. We believe that God's word is written by the Spirit of God through people, and that message is for us today so that we can understand how God thinks and how we ought to think in the world that we're living in. Thus, we study the word. So when I'm up here or when Pastor Bill is up here more or Pastor Bill Hood II or third is here or Francois is here or anybody else, what we're trying to do in part is to model for you what study looks like and help all of us understand how to study the word better because when I'm long and gone and you're long and gone, the people behind you are going to need to learn what studying looks like by watching you, right? We need to be studiers of the word. And I've told you this before in previous times I've been here, but uh, there's questions that I ask of the authors when I read. For Paul, I ask three questions. I ask, do what, so what, for what? What am I supposed to do, Paul? Why am I supposed to do that? What's the so that and for what? Why? What was the motivation? So in my mind, I'm always looking for commands. I'm looking for words like so that or for or therefore or since. I'm looking for words that give me understanding as to not just what I'm supposed to do, but why I'm supposed to do that. So when I'm looking at passages like this, it's full of commands. There are a lot of commands in here. So the, 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 uh, the do what's are very clear. It's the so what's that I want to jump at because the so what's tell me what I'm doing this for in the future. The four what's are those things that give me the reason for them behind me, right? So I'm pressing onto this because of this reason, and I'm doing it because I'm motivated by something inside me. You know, all of you are looking at me saying, well, you think way too much about this. It's just the Bible. We should read it. We should read it to know it. We should read it to study it. We should read it to learn it so that we can live it, right? That's why we're here. We're here to live out the principles of God's word so I get a little bit energized about this. Do what, so what, for what. So I'm looking at this passage, and I say, what am I supposed to do, Paul? A lot of commands here. But as I wrap them together in my mind, I really see there's three main commands that become kind of the structure for this larger exhortation that he's finishing his letter with. The first main command is be strong in verse 10. The second one, as I see it, is stand up 
He says stand multiple times in the middle of this passage, but I think his second big command is stand up. And the third is keep alert. Be strong, stand up, keep alert. Be strong, stand up, keep alert. So as Paul is finishing this letter, he is finishing with kind of a last final hurrah. Christians, in this world, even though we've been made worthy by Christ, we are walking worthy in him. We have been seated with him. We ought to walk it out, but we need to be strong in our standing and we need to keep alert because we don't know what this world's gonna throw at us. So be strong, stand up, keep alert. Maybe the easiest of the three is be strong. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. As I'm reading this, I'm getting immediate flashbacks to the book of Joshua. Anybody know the book of Joshua? Moses was a great leader. He did some incredible things, right? Led the people out of Egypt, separated some oceans, caused amazing, terrific things to happen in Egypt. Watched The people watched the entire country of Egypt kind of crumble before their eyes as God worked through Moses to do amazing things. Moses led the people through the wilderness wandering times, and just on the verge of the river, Moses dies, and Joshua now has the mantle. And if you read Joshua chapter 1, it is filled with be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. And I'm almost thinking Paul has that in mind as he's writing here, for us to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And I ask myself, I do what, my do what is be strong, but is there a so what or a for what in here? And there's not really anything there except a little bit of confusion because in my mind, I'm either strong or I'm not strong, right? I mean, look at my Herculean uh, physique. You know, this doesn't come naturally. It's obvious that I'm strong, right? But how do I be strong, right? Do I, do I act strong? Do I, do I show that I can lift up heavy things, which I can't? What what, what does the be strong command even mean? We need to wrestle with this fact that even though we are all of these incredible things because of what Christ has done for us, we on our part need to act on that to make ourselves or to prove ourselves or to improve upon the characteristics we already have. We are strong in the Lord, but somehow we need to act it out somehow. So Paul reminds us, be strong. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, we are truly pathetic without him, right? We are truly pathetic without him. Now, it doesn't mean we can't do anything good. It just means that we can't do anything significantly good. And we can't do anything that is significantly good in line with his character, which is the best. So we need him to strengthen us, and we need to step out in that strengtheningness. I just made up a word. We need to be strong in the Lord because he is empowering us. Apart from him, we can do what? But through Christ, we can do all things, right? Apart from him, we can do nothing. With him, we can do all things. In fact, the very impossible things can happen when God is moving in and through us. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Command one. I was just reading Uh, In my own quiet times, I'm finishing up my reading through the Bible, and I'm in the opening chapters of the book of Revelation. And one of the letters in the opening chapters of Revelation is written to what church? Ephesus. One of the letters is in Ephesus, chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Ephesus, the Ephesians, obviously heard the word from Paul when he said, be strong in the Lord. 
stand up and keep alert. Because 30 years later, John the Revelator hears this vision and he writes it down that Ephesus was in fact faithful. They did, in fact, endure through. They, they hated untruth. They fought against those that were dividing the church. But what was their weakness? The weakness is that they had forgotten their first love, right? So this alertness thing we'll come back to here in a second. Be strong in the Lord and, the strength, and in the strength of his might, stand up is the second command. Stand up. Now, some of you might be saying, well, obviously the next command is in verse 11 there, put on. Why isn't that the next command? Because Paul says stand up several times through this. Yes, there is a put on command, but it's so that you might stand. We're not wrestling against these things, but rather take on the armor so that you can withstand so that after all these things you can stand, stand therefore. So there's a command to stand up and take courage and be where you are. Paul had already in the letter talked about children who are tossed here and there by every wave of doctrine. Do you remember that passage? I love that one. Because in my mind, I think of children, I think of waves, and I think of the ocean. Obviously, we live nearby, and the fun of watching little children get just knocked over by waves. I mean, is it, is it sick and wrong for me to actually find joy in that as we're sitting on the beach and I'm watching other people's children because if I was laughing at my own children, that would be very, very rude and mean. So I'm laughing at other people's children. They're in the surf and the waves are knocking them literally off their feet, right? And they stand up and they get knocked down. And, you know, children don't have the strength to stand, to feel the sand under their feet, to feel the weight of their body and, and control the, the posture of their body to stand firm in the midst of waves. So they're tossed here and there by everything that comes at them. Apostle Paul has already said in his letter, we ought not to be like that in our spiritual life. We ought not to be those people that are getting knocked off base by everything that's coming around the corner. Whatever wave of doctrine or interesting scheme that's out there, we ought not to be knocked back and forth. We ought to be standing in the middle of that. I trained in martial arts for a while uh, when we lived in Arizona, and one of the first lessons is to learn how to stand. And so you learn how to to visualize your feet digging down into the ground like you have roots on the end of your heels. And so you have this sense of I am connected to the ground as I'm engaging with the person that's coming at me. And I think it's a great analogy for us in our spiritual lives. We ought to live and walk in such a way where even though we are moving, our, our, our position is so rooted down into the ground that we're immovable when things come at us. And if you have that ability to stand in the midst of what the world is throwing at you, you're going to be in a much better position to respond in a way that is Christ-honoring. If you're constantly trying to figure out whether or not your feet are on the ground, it's a major problem. In dealing with senior citizens, which our companies do, a major problem is falling. And falling is all about the feet. It's all about the balance. It's all about making sure you feel yourself on the ground. And when you're taking steps, you're thinking about it. We need to learn to stand up in our faith. As Paul is uh, digging up this middle section, he uses three commands even in this to help us understand. The first we just saw is put on. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. Paul says, put this armor on so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. I love that word, schemes. It kind of feels... The word kind of feels like what it is, doesn't it? 
You know, there's some words that are just like that. You know, a scheme is something that's trickery. It's tricky. It's slippery. It's, you can't really hardly grab it because it looks like this, but it's actually that. That's what a scheme is. Scheme. It's all gonna, it's gonna be in our minds all day long now. Schemes. The devil schemes. He's a schemer, right? He appears to be one way, but reality is slightly different. And this world is full of schemes, isn't it? It's full of little tricks and hooks, things that cause us to want to do something, but we get there and we realize that it's not what it was. It's something different. Schemes of the devil, Paul says. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So we put on the armor so that we can stand against what what the devil is bringing at us, these schemes. Now let's talk about the devil for a second. I find that in Christian circles, we are either completely and utterly obsessed about Satan or we don't think about him at all. There's not a lot of people in the middle that have a healthy understanding of how the spiritual realities intersect with our lives. I grew up in a Pentecostal charismatic church. My dad was an Assembly of God pastor, and I remember being totally and completely obsessed with Satan. Everything was about the devil, and everything was about what the devil is trying to make me do, and everything was about fighting against the devil and standing against the devil and being engaged in the devil. And You get to a point, at least for me, I'm not, I'm not knocking that denomination in any way, shape, or form, but for me, it got to the place that I was almost fixated on Satan rather than serving the Lord. So there are some that are so fixated to him, there are others that say, well, it's really not, it's not a big deal. We don't really even think about it. We don't need to. We kind of go on ignorant of his ways. There is a Satan. He is as real as any of us are real. He is not all-powerful. He's not all-knowing. He's not everywhere. But the spirit of Satan, the spirit of the world, the spirit of evil is around us all over the place. And it's in the form of deception, distortion, trickery, destruction, deceit, all of these little tactics that Satan uses to scheme against us. Why? Because he doesn't want us standing. He wants us falling. He wants us slipping. Paul says, put on the armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For what? For. So Paul says, put on the whole armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For, the for is back here, is because our wrestling match is not against physical things. In the spiritual realities of our life, the wrestling match is with spiritual things. It's not with people. It's not with political parties. It's not with governmental structures. It's not with viruses. It's not with bosses or managers or bad people out there. It's spiritual realities in the heavenly places, Paul says. Which is interesting because it's in those same heavenly places that we're actually already seated. So it's almost like, okay, you're there. That's where the battle is actually happening. But what do we do in our lives? In our lives, we become hyper-focused on the people. You know, Pastor Bill always tells us that people are the prize, right? But what we end up doing is in our minds, we're thinking that my battle is actually against you or you or you who disagree with me, who are doing something in opposition to me. So therefore, you become my enemy, and I'm putting on the armor of God so that I can fight you. I'm not pointing at anybody in particular. This is kind of a general. You guilty of doing that ever? That the enemy becomes a person? 
not a spiritual principle or a spiritual reality or something out there in the world. Satan is real. He does scheme. And you and I are face to face with his deceptions every single day. And we need to put on the armor of God that we might stand against that schemes. Why? Because our ultimate wrestling match is not against physical things. It's a spiritual reality. It's happening in your heart and in your mind as you go through your day. I think we, we need to be more alert to this. I think we need to be more aware of this reality in our lives, that as we're going through our day, something is happening in our soul, something is happening in our spirit, and we, we need to remember that we have to have a proper posture in this. We're going to come back to this word wrestle, because I, I like the word wrestle, but we'll come back to it in a moment. So put on is the first command in this stand-up section. The second is take up, verse 13. Therefore, therefore what? Therefore, you put on the whole armor of God that you might stand against Satan because we're wrestling about spiritual things. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. He says it again. Take up the whole armor of God. That's the do what, so what, so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. You might be able to stand against in the evil day. Now, when is the evil day? Is it a long ways from now? If you would have read through the entire letter of Ephesians this week, you would have seen that he's already talked about the evil day. In fact, he's talking about today being the evil day, that we're in the evil days. So Paul is not talking about a battle that's happening someday in the future for you. Paul is talking about the battle that you're in, the wrestling matches that you're in with spiritualities right now. And you need to put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in that day and having done all these things to stand which is the third command in this stand-up part. Put on the armor of God so that you might be able to stand against the schemes for you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Therefore, pick up the whole armor of God so that you might be able to stand against and in the end, stand. Do you think Paul wants us to stand? It could be. Stand, 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 withstand. In your Bibles, you should be circling all those stands because I think above anything else in this passage, we need to remember that our job in in the Christian war, I carefully use that word because I'm going to come back to it a second and make a counterpoint. The war is to stand and not to kill. The war is to stand against the schemes, not to kill. I'm going to take a tangent here for a moment. The Apostle Paul is probably in prison. He is probably looking face to face or nearby to a Roman centurion guard of some sort. He is probably watching and seeing what armor he has and using that as an analogy, an illustration for what the point that he's really trying to make. But the question I have as I'm looking through this is is this, is the point war? Is, if Paul was in a bakery, it would be a great place to be in prison, but if Paul was in a bakery, Would this not be the chef's suit of God? If Paul was in a shopping mall, would it not be a totally different analogy? If he was sitting on the street corner watching people pass by, would it have been a different analogy? Is it only a battle, armor, fight, kill, destroy motif because Paul's in prison? Or if that's really the reality? Now, I don't know about you, but what I see in Christian culture right now is an obsession with the battle for truth. 
You hear the words. I just saw it this morning. There was a, a chat GBT uh, issue about some uh, version of the Bible that the chatbot created that was embracing of the transgender movement. And there were Christians uh, attacking, is the word, attacking. So in this passage, though, we see stand words. We see put on words. We say having fastened words. There's certainly illustrations and analogies connected to the armor. But what we don't see is attack, destroy, take back, knock down, obliterate, uh, defend. There's none of those types of words. It is all standing words. It's a posture issue. And so I ask myself, have I been guilty of being somebody that is trying to attack culture rather than be ready to stand in the midst of the schemes? And have I taken on in my mind more of a battle mindset than maybe what Paul ultimately had in mind. So in that spirit, now I may have ruffled ruffled some feathers there because I know some of you really, really love the battle and you love to fight. But I need to remind ourselves that the goal here is stand. He doesn't say fight, 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 fight. He says stand. So we need to put on the armor to stand. And so I want to look at the armor not so much as what uh, piece of armor it represents, But I want to strip that away and look particularly at the qualities that make up these different pieces. Because if the analogy was different, the principle would still be the case, still be true, right? So let's look at standing in this bigger question of how do we stand steady or how do we stand firm? And I see them in three steps here, at least in Paul's picture. Step one is to put on. Having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having as shoes for your feet or as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all three of these, I put these as a separate category because all three of them are connected to a having done verb, something that indicates that it has already happened. And it's almost like Paul is describing things that should be a part of our day-to-day living as it is, that we don't need to worry about grabbing them because they're already on us somehow. It's the way that we get dressed in the morning. When Paul is using this analogy of a soldier, these are the things that you would fasten on, that you would strap on in advance of a fight, not in the middle of a fight. The the work of putting on a belt and making sure your trousers are intact. Putting on a breastplate that would be strapped around and belted on, and then putting shoes on, which are not things that you do in the middle of a battle. They would be things that you would have on your person already. And what are they? There's three of them. Truthfulness, righteousness, and readiness. We ought to, as Christians, be standing in a position where we have with us on our persons truthfulness, righteousness, and readiness. Let's look at truthfulness just for a moment. We know that God's word is truth. We know that Christ only speaks truth. We know that God of the universe is all-knowing and he knows perfect truth. And as we study from him, as we learn his word, as we engage with him, as we walk through this life with him, we begin to see things through a filter of truth. So in one piece, Paul is encouraging us to have a sense of truth about us. We need to be people who are informed by God. We think about things the way God thinks about them. It's not just the job of a pastor or a teacher. It's the job of all of us as Christians. We need to read the word see the word in life, and filter everything we're learning through that. 
so that it, the, the spiritual realities of our life are at the table just like every other science or things out there. I think we need to remember that we're pulling forward the spiritual realities that we, we see as true. That should be something we're doing and challenging ourselves on a day-to-day basis. But we also ought to live in truth. As we're hearing untruth, we ought to respond to it appropriately. When we see or hear untruth coming at us, we need to know truth well enough to know that it's not true. And if you are willingly taking on untruth when you know it's not true, it's really not very smart. Because untruth is not worth our time. Our our job is to stand in truth. Our job is to speak truth. Our job is to think truth and see the world in a truthful way. Why? Because that's what we've committed our lives to doing. We've committed our lives to submit ourselves to Christ, right, and to his truth. So truthfulness is put on like a belt, Paul says. Righteousness, what is righteousness? Righteousness is rightness. There is one aspect of this that God has put his righteousness on us in Christ. There's another aspect of this where we are living out rightly in the world. Now, figuring out what is right and what is wrong in these days is a little bit challenging at times because everybody's fighting about what is right and what is true. But as Christians, we are taking on true truthfulness and true righteousness as the way we live our lives so that they keep us steady in the midst of whatever it is that we're facing out there. The third quality is a little bit more cumbersome for me. Paul says in his battleship battle analogy, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now, as I'm chewing through this over the last couple of weeks, I'm thinking, is the issue readiness? Is the issue the gospel? Or is the issue the peace? Is Paul wanting us to put peace on? Is he wanting us to put the gospel on? Or is he wanting to put readiness on? I came to the conclusion that I think he really wants us to be ready. He wants us to live with a sense of readiness because we have the gospel of peace in our hearts. We believe this already, right? If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you don't have the gospel of peace as a part of your your wardrobe because you haven't chosen to believe it yet. You haven't submitted your life to it yet. Paul says we need to wrap like, a, like shoes around our feet, strapped up around our calves. We need to put on the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, the good news of peace. That's step one, because those are the things that are kind of stuck on us, I think, in Paul's mind. Step two is you need to pick some things up. In all circumstances, verse 16, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, take, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So in this, Paul is describing, you know, I'm already dressed, right? Now I've got to pick these things up. When I'm running, according to the analogies, I'm running into battle, I'm picking up my shield, I'm putting on my helmet, and I'm grabbing my sword, right? Those are the, the tools that you run into battle with. So carrying that analogy, Paul says that we ought to use faith Salvation and the word, or maybe the spirit might be the focal point there. Those are things that we use in the middle of the schemes that are coming at us. So how is faith used in that situation? How do we use our faith in a scheme? Well, you point faith towards it in some sense. You direct your attention towards the attack that's coming at you if we're going with the battle motif. 
You're thinking about what's coming at you, and you are choosing to believe truth over the air that's coming your way, which means you actually have to be thinking, right? When you're listening to the news, when you're listening to that podcast, when you're reading the article, when you're seeing the headlines, you need to be thinking about what truth is that is oftentimes at contrast with what's coming at you. When we have faith, we are choosing in the minute to not trust this but to trust that. We are choosing to believe in this rather than that. Why? Because we know ultimately that God's truth is right and God's going to triumph, right? His ways are always better than our ways. And so faith says, this is coming at me. I don't know what to do with it, but I trust that this is reality. We need to use faith on a day-to-day basis. It's not just something we have back at home. Our faith is something we care and we carry and we actively use day-to-day. Salvation. Salvation's a weird one for me in this one because I would think salvation would be something we would buckle on. It seems like breastplate of salvation would have made more sense to me. But Paul says we pick up the helmet of salvation and we put it on, and I wonder what he has in mind. Oftentimes, we think in terms of salvation as something that happened when we were a kid. How many of you uh, accepted Christ when you were a child? So a lot of us. A lot of us accepted Christ way back. So sometimes when we think of salvation, we think of that day way back when it was black and white, right? Way back in those days. Paul seems to indicate that salvation is something that we have and we use going forward. That's somehow a reminder of our position in Christ, somehow a reminder of what Christ has done, a reminder of his shed blood in us, on us, during a battle is helpful. The last, he says, take up the sword of the Spirit. And all of you who want to be fighters and warriors out there say, yes, finally, an offensive weapon. Now, I can bludgeon somebody to death with a helmet, but how much more to sword, Right? You know, these other tools are not as helpful as this. Obviously, this is his offensive option. I still think if you look at the balance of the whole, the balance of the whole is not a story of attacking and destroying. The story as a whole is is a challenge to stand in the midst of an onslaught. That when the schemes come at us, we need to be prepared to defend and to stand. To stand for righteousness, truthfulness. We need to stand for the gospel. We need to stand for these things and be unmoved by them because we have faith, because we have our salvation, and because we have the word of God, which is truth. Pray. He translates it pretty quickly here. Step one, pick up, put on. Step two, pick up. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. It's almost like this is, prayer is in, around, and on everything. That our life ought to be a life of prayer. It ought to be a life of communion with the Father. It ought to be a life that is lived in fellowship and awareness of him. We were talking a couple weeks ago about uh, Ricardo mindfulness in uh, disciple-making. We need to live our lives mindful of the presence of God. I don't think prayer is just fellowshipping with God. There is an element of prayer where you're actually sitting down focused, communicating with him, whether it's fasting or regular prayer. 
There's a, a, a time for that, but I think what we do, need to do in our lives is we need to instill in our minds a God awareness in our day-to-day living so that as we're going through our day, we're realizing in a very practical way that God is with us, that God is near us, that we can talk to him, that we can communicate to him, that we can express our, our wishes and our wants to him. The Apostle Paul seems to indicate that underneath all of these other defensive measures, we need to be praying at all times, and not just for ourselves, praying for other people. Paul ends this by saying, pray for me, which I think is pretty an amazing thing. I mean, if any one of us saw the Apostle Paul right now, we would say, hey, Paul, pray for us, please. Paul says, pray for me, so that I may be bold in, in preaching what I'm supposed to preach. Our prayer life, our praying life, ought to be a staple. It ought to be the Chick-fil-A chicken nuggets of our life. It ought to be the thing that we eat regularly. We ought to pray always in varieties of ways, with amazing regularity. We ought to pray with a sense of urgency, and we ought to pray selflessly. We ought to pray for others. We ought to pray for ourselves. We ought to pray that God's will is done. We ought to pray like Paul prays. We ought to pray like the great men and women of of our faith before us have prayed. We ought to pray all the time living my life, living our lives as if God is with us, because he is, right? He's walking beside us in all that we do. Put on, pick up, pray at all times. And the last command in this section is keep alert. To that end, he says, what end? To that end. Some would say, well, to that end, praying, Some would say, well, to that end, you know, putting on the armor. I think it's to that end, stand. To the end that I've commanded you now five times in a row, stand, stand, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that I may preach boldly as I ought to speak. We need to keep alert in the work of standing. This is what the Ephesians failed to do 30 years later. They stood firm. They held to their faith. They defended against untruth. But in the end, they did not keep alert because they allowed other things to distract them from their primary love. I don't want to be a person. I don't want us to be a people who are distracted away from our first love, which is the Lord Jesus. I want us to be passionate and fervent in our love for him. And we need to keep alert. Why? Because we need to be ready to defend ourselves against the schemes of the devil. Not against the schemes of our neighbor, the schemes of the devil. We need to put on truth. We need to think righteously. We need to bear up our faith. We need to be ready wherever we are that we might live out the faith in very clear and obvious ways. So the question I end you in with is how firmly are you standing? How firmly are we standing? Are we people that are wobbling? Are we people that are trying to stand up on the surfboard because we haven't learned how to stand on it yet? Are we wobbly ankled in the skating rink because we haven't figured out a way to get our legs under us? Or are we people that are standing strong in God's uh, foundation, on his foundation? Bearing up these qualities in our lives that we might face the things that are coming at us. As we close, let's stand together.